0: hello no offense podcast listeners excuse me i just ate a sandwich and yeah it was good but parched. anyway hello everyone welcome back to the second episode of the true crime series of no offense podcast now before we begin the episode i want to tell you guys to follow the podcast instagram as always at nooffpod underscore cm to check out all the highlights and announcements for the podcast, and also to make sure to follow the podcast on Spotify, Apple, and Apple Podcast. And then also, if you guys saw the um what, what episode was it? episode 17, I mentioned in that that I did want to start listener stories um, and start that series eventually, of course, when I get them. And that could be either about for the true crime or you know anything funny, embarrassing, whatever it is. Um, but for those, just DM me um, on the Instagram. You can submit to Spotify directly, too. Um, if you go into the episode and you see under, like, the timestamp of the episode, it'll say, oh, submit this, or, like, what did you think about the episode? Um, you can also email me, which is at nooffensepodcast 256 gmail.com. and once I get some stories submitted, that series will be coming to you guys, too. Of course, I also want to update update sorry you guys on the YouTube channel I'm trying to get it by May 15th and launch that there's a lot in the works aka my pink account and I need to also just work out logistics and have you know things ready for you guys on the YouTube already but thank you guys for the support and let's finally get into the episode <music> Alright guys, so let's get into the episode today, and let me clear my throat one more time. Anyway, so sorry. In today's episode, if you guys already don't know by the title, we will be talking about the case of the Zodiac Killer. I'm going to preface this episode with saying that a lot of my information is directly quoted from the sources that I used, and a lot of it, I would honestly say like 90% of it, is from the website, I don't know if any of you have seen it before, the ZodiacKiller.com website, which is, I couldn't find the direct person's name, he or she, whomever it may be. Um, Okay, spitting bars, sorry, and, (laughs) let me get back, sorry guys, but yeah, I found a lot of it from there, and a lot of this is, like I said, directly quoted. And I'm going to put the resources I used on my Instagram in the episode description and I'm going to also submit my script so you guys can just see it as well um, but please go check it out it has a lot of detailed information and if you want to know anything about this this serial killer in this case and whatever it may be go check it out um, and like I said I'll post it and just so you guys I want you to all have <clears throat> the exact incorrect information about this entire case so with that being said between the years of 1968 and 1969, an unidentified serial killer known as the Zodiac Killer was said to have killed five people in Northern California. An earlier case as well happened in 1966, where 18-year-old college student Cherry Joe Bates was stabbed multiple times on the grounds of Riverside City College. Law enforcement stated that Bates was lured from her car as the ignition coil wire and the distributor of the car had been disabled to her Beetle, And this was the first case that had been said to be connected to the zodiac killer but this case unfortunately went cold for a while in the town of riverside and it was stated that riverside had also been stripped of their innocence after this case all right guys we're back again so for this episode what i wanted to dive into Specifically first about this is the letters that the Zodiac Killer sent during his killings and the specific deciphering and coding that he used behind them. Throughout his killings, he would write letters to the Bay Area Press as a taunting method to them. And these letters weren't really normal letters, but were more known as what are called ciphers. From the late 1960s to the early 1970s, the Zodiac Killer sent four coded letters, and of those four, only one was ever solved his letters were written in two parts the first part was usually written in plain text while the other was in cipher text in which he claimed contained his identity in the plain text part he threatened newspapers to publish his letters or else he would continue his killing spree and in other segments of his letters he listed the names of his victims the next victims and creating havoc within the bay area His goal was to use the media to instill fear in the Bay Area citizens, and let's just say that it definitely worked. And as cryptographers dug deeper into the letters, they were able to find out what drove the Zodiac Killer to keep killing. So, as I said, there were four letters. And of the four letters he sent, one was a three-part coded message, sent to three different press companies, making what is known as a 408 symbol cipher his other famous cipher letter contains a three four zero character cipher which still doesn't have a de- definite solution to it and after the zodiac killer sent his 408 symbol cipher more known, as they pardon me as they put it in as the z408 he sent another message to the police that stated if they could solve the cipher that they will have him and to understand what the zodiac killer meant by this we will have to figure out to first see how the message was deciphered. So in 1969, two school teachers, Donald and Betty Hardin managed to crack the Z408 cipher. Sorry if I messed up the Betty name. I want to be sure that I got that right. But anyway, apologize if I butchered that. So the Z408 cipher consisted of a random symbols corresponding to a plain text message. The killer ciphers would work as this. It was a homophonic simple substitution cipher. That's a really hard thing to say. In a basic simple substitution cipher, each ciphertext letter corresponds to a plain text letter. And however, in a homophonic substitution cipher, more than one ciphertext letter could correspond to a plain text letter. So this makes this whole deciphering process very confusing. And if you're good at deciphering or know anything about ciphertext, then definitely dig into this case and get to see what his letters were like and see if you saw them yourself. So, you know, do your own thing. But to decipher this 408 cipher, Donald and Betty Hardin essentially looked for common patterns and plugged in letters that might fit into the cipher text. So after analyzing the text, they noticed certain symbols appeared more frequently than others. And for example, there were a high number of double symbols or double letters found in the cipher text. In frequency analysis, the letter L is doubled most frequently in English. Because the message came from a serial killer, they figure that well, why did I just say it like that? My god. They figured that the double letter L must be followed by a letter I, creating the word kill. In cryptography terms, the word kill served as the crib, a word that could be plugged into other parts of the message to determine other phrases. So while the message had a few misspellings, the meaning of the message was vividly clear. So, the Cracked Code offers frightening insight into the Zodiac Killer's mind. According to the plain text message, he was attempting to collect slaves for the afterlife. While the plain text gave police the reason for his serial killing, the message never mentioned his actual name. According to the message, he refused to give up his identity because it would slow down or stop his quote-unquote collection of slaves. And for a while, even though this Z-408 cipher was seemingly solved, it was left questioning whether any of the 18 letters he had sent had his name hidden within those ciphers specifically. And interestingly enough, the last few phrases of the plain text yielded the words, My name is Lee Allen. Lee Allen was a subset... Why? I'm so sorry, guys. I really can't talk today. Lee Allen was a suspect while police were still investigating the case, However, his DNA did not match the DNA found in the envelopes of the Zodiac killers, and many cryptanalysis question the accuracy of the decipherment, but one thing is for sure. If a simple shift cipher of 3 was used, and it was a yielded name, as well as other phrases that would be used by a serial killer, it may just be an accurate decipherment. And there is no other proof that Lee Allen is a Zodiac killer. For all we know, the Zodiac killer could be framing Lee Allen, and so this I actually did get from somewhere, and i am going to go into lee allen later in this episode and even though this does state a lot of things obviously um lee allen was very was a very big suspect and the reason why i will go into much later and obviously dna can tell us a lot of things and you know science can tell us a lot of things but there was just so many things involved with him and with people and everything that really made him stand out. But getting back to finish up cryptography has made this case a lot more mysterious, surprising, confusing, everything, and really didn't actually help investigators catch the actual Zodiac killer. And by that, obviously knowing who he is, the identity, all of that. But of course, cryptography has definitely helped discover more things about other serial killers in history and I'm sure will help us in the future. On Friday, December 20th, 1968, a teenage couple was shot to death near their car in the remote area of North France's... Whoa, guys. Let me repeat that. I'm so sorry. They were shot and killed in their car in a remote area north of San Francisco. I'm so sorry that I messed that up again. I know I'm speaking really bad today. One year later, another couple was attacked in similar circumstances, though the male victim had survived. And after the 1969 attack, the killer phoned the police to alert them of the crime and to take responsibility for the 1968 murders. Later that year, the Zodiac killer attacked another young couple, though once again, male had survived the last known victim a taxi driver was shot in october of 1969. and just a warning to everyone listening i will be going into detail about the cases and the victims and what happened to them so listener discretion is advised just to let you guys know so the first couple in 1968 were david faraday and betty lou jensen Around approximately 11.15 p.m. in a parking lot along the remote Lake Herman Road on the outskirts of Valjeo, California, David Faraday, age 17, was shot once in the head at point-blank range and died within minutes. Betty Lou Jensen, age 17, I'm sorry, age 16, was shot five times in the back and killed instantly. <clears throat> the weapon used was a .22 caliber semi-automatic pistol and there was no indication of robbery or any sexual molestation. There were no witnesses and several vehicles were seen in the area just prior to the local resident Cella Borges discovering the crime scene. And according to the police report, the victims were apparently approached while occupying Faraday's station wagon. Shots were fired into the vehicle in an apparent effort to force them out. Jensen exited the front passenger door first, then followed by Faraday. And Faraday was shot as he emerged from the car. Jensen was then shot as she fled on foot. It was the first state Jensen had ever been allowed on, and the crime shocked the community, and the shooting could not be explained by Faraday's family, and Jensen's family was equally dumbfounded. While Faraday and Jensen are traditionally considered definite Zodiac victims, there have been many other suspects in this case. In the early 1990s, former Vallejo Police Department Detective John Lynch said the couple was killed because Faraday had learned of a major drug deal and had been talking openly about who was involved. Other sources have speculated that Zodiac Killer wasn't responsible because no taunting letters or phone calls were received until months after the murders. However, when the Zodiac Killer finally took credit for this attack, he provided many details that were not known to the general public. So therefore, Zodiac's sense of fulfillment following the Faraday Jensen murders was so strong that he didn't feel the need to immediately brag to the news media. So more than 30 years later, local residents still have forgotten this crime, and the secluded area of the murders hasn't changed very much at all. So guys, getting back to the episode, let's continue. On Saturday, July 5th, 1969, the next victims of the Zodiac Killer were Darlene Farron and Mike Magoo. At approximately 12.01am in the parking lot of Blue Rock Springs Park in the eastern outskirts of Ohio, California, Darlene Farron, age 22, was shot nine times. Mike Magoo, age 19, was shot four times. The weapon was a 9mm semi-automatic pistol, and there was no indication of robbery or sexual molestation, and there were no witnesses to this either. Farron was married and worked as a waitress at Terry's restaurant. Magoo was single and worked as a laborer. Farron's husband, Dean, was initially a suspect in the murder. However, this was ruled out once it was established he was working as a cook at Caesar's restaurant at the time of the murder. Farron's first husband, James Philip Kebtree, was also briefly a suspect in this case, and according to surviving victim Magoo, he and Farron had parked at the isolated location to talk. A car that was possibly light brown, Ford Mustang, or a Chevrolet Corvair pulled into the lot just a few feet away from them. A man with the flashlight exited the vehicle and approached them. There were no other cars in the lot, and, thinking it was a police officer, the couple had their identification ready to go. Without any warning, the man began firing at the couple. After five shots were fired, the man walked slowly back to his car. goose screamed in pain, at which the man returned and fired two more shots into each victim. It was at this point that Magoo got a look at him. The man was white, 5'8 or 5'9 and in his late 20s to 30s, he had a very stocky belt, a round face and brown hair. No conversation between the victims and the man had occurred at any point, but approximately 45 minutes later, the Valhalla Police Department received a call from a man claiming responsibility for the attack. He correctly identified the weapon used as a 9mm and also took credit for the Faraday-Jensen murders on December 20th of 1968, and for the few next weeks coming, the investigation went nowhere. Then, on July 31st, 1969, letters were sent to the Vallejo Times Herald, San Francisco Examiner, and the San Francisco Chronicle. The letters claimed to be from the killer of Faraday, Jensen and Farron details were included that only the killer would have known, and each letter contained one-third of a cipher that, if it was solved, had supposedly contained the killer's identity. And while the killer hadn't yet given himself the name Zodiac, this marked the beginning of a letter-writing spree that would go on for more than five years. In 1991, Mike migo identified Arthur Lee Allen as being the shooter which top suspect I will be going into later in the episode, as I said earlier. This identification was the result of Magoo being shown a photo lineup by George Bowart of the Valjeo Police Department. When Bowart asked Magoo why he had never identified Alan in the 20 years, Alan had to have been the top suspect. Magoo said that he had never been shown any pictures of suspects and he had only been asked if he recognized certain names. If my goose statement is true then it's probably the biggest law enforcement blunder of the modern time to continue on saturday september 7th, 7th and 9th there was two parts to this guys i'm sorry i mistyped my script so let me repeat that on saturday september 9th 1969 cecilia ann shepherd and brian calvin hartnell would be attacked on the shoreline of lake Baressa, near Napa, California, up at approximately 6.15 p.m. Let me just pause. I'm so sorry for my messing up. This script has a lot to it. I'm trying to be accurate for you guys, so I'm so sorry that I'm messing stuff up, but obviously I will correct myself. So getting back to it. As I said, around 6.15 p.m., Cecilia Shepard, age 22, was stabbed 10 times, 5 in the front and 5 in the back, and Brian Hartnell, age 20, was stabbed 6 times in the back. The knife had a wooden handle and a blade approximately 10 to 12 inches long and there was no indication of robbery or sexual molestation, and there were no witnesses to this incident either. So according to the police report, the couple was relaxing on a blanket at a very remote location by the lake. Shepard noticed a man approaching them wearing an unusual costume and holding a gun. He appeared to be more than six feet tall with a heavy build. And the man claimed he was a prison escape from either Montana or Colorado and needed money and a car to flee to Mexico. Hartnell offered his wallet and car keys, which weren't taken. After several minutes of conversation, the man tied the couple with the plastic clothesline and began stabbing them. Hartnell was attacked first, and then Shepard was. And after the assault, the man walked away casually away. And, oh, I just see guys, I messed up again. I read that same line. So let me restart again. After the assault, the man walked away casually away from the scene, and after several minutes, a nearby fisherman heard the couple screaming and alerted park rangers. So by the time the help arrived, Shepard and Hartnell had managed to untie their restraints. It took nearly an hour for an ambulance to arrive, and at which time, both victims were in very critical condition. Just over an hour after the attack, the Napa Police Department received a call from a man claiming responsibility for the stabbing. And the call was quickly traced to a phone booth in downtown napa and fingerprints were later recovered meanwhile the napa county sheriff's department deputies were responding to the crime scene they had found that the attacker had written a message on the victim's car door the message included the dates of the faraday jensen and Farron magoo attacks and was signed with the cross circle symbol tire tracks indicated that the killer had parked behind the victim's car And that he was wearing a 10 and a half sized wing walker shoe. And those were recovered from the scene as well. And also indicating that the suspect had been weighing more than 210 pounds, which that was really shocking to me. I feel like in cases, and especially, I guess, you know, before we were improving a lot of investigation things that they were, of course, this is, you know, hypothesis. And I guess you could say like, just. From seeing it and doing some statistics or whatever you want to call it, details into it, that they were able to give a shoe size and a weight to the killer, which I just, I feel like in cases, I just haven't seen that before, but I don't know what you guys think, but I was kind of shocked that they were able to say that. But continuing, detectives later located three young women who had noticed a strange man in the general area just a couple of hours before the attack had happened. Unfortunately Shepard died within 48 hours of the stabbing her funeral services attracted a huge crowd of mourners Hartnell recovered from his wounds and is now an attorney in Southern, California While Brian gave many interviews in the first few years of the, after the attack He is no longer discussing the case with the news media and many suspects were scrutinized including the serial killer Ted Bundy and on February 1989 A comparison of fingerprints helped clear bundy of this crime and of course as we know ted bundy was not innocent either but this crime was stated to be bizarre and a horrifying crime as well and after careful consideration of the facts that should dispel all the myths of the zodiac killer that was simply a super criminal only intent on taunting the police rather he was a very warped individual who apparently had grown bored with mere killing and now apparently needed to implement extremely bizarre behavior in order to achieve this satisfaction to his killings. So to continue, another victim, Paul Stein, who was killed on October 11th, 1969 at approximately 9.55 p.m. in the northeast corner of Washington and Terry streets in the Presidio Heights neighborhood of San Francisco, California. Before getting into it further, guys, I wanted to give this information on Paul Stein, and there was another victim that didn't have too much on him known as Ray Davis. I just want to say it now, um, and Ray Davis actually had was a cab driver himself, just like Paul Stein was, as I will talk about soon, and he had a very similar circumstance as Paul Stein. But the reason I wanted to involve Paul Stein was because he is involved within um, the possible suspect that I talk about, Lee Allen, as you guys heard from before. Just want to put that out there. But to continue, Paul Stein was a cab driver, age 29, and was shot once in the head at point-blank range. Weapon used was a 9mm semi-automatic pistol, and yet it was not the same one that was used in the Farron murder. And there were three witnesses from a house on the southeast corner of the intersection. So Stein's cab was hailed at Mason and Gary Street, with the intended destination being Washington and Maple Street, near the presidio for reasons unknown the cab ended up in washington and cherry streets a block away from the actual destination and stein's wallet and keys were taken and a large portion of his shirt was carefully torn off bloody fingerprints potentially of the suspect were recovered from the last vehicle from the vehicle i'm sorry according to a police document a pair of men's size seven black leather gloves were also found The three witnesses watched the suspect from approximately 60 feet away as he wiped down the cab with a cloth after killing Stein. They called the police and described a white male, 25 to 30 years old, 5'8 to 5'9, once again a stocky build, reddish brown hair worn in a crew cut, and heavy rimmed glasses and dark clothing. They last saw him casually walking north on Cherry Street unfortunately the police dispatcher mistakenly described the suspect as being a black male adult as a result when patrol officers don lefouc and eric zelms minutes later observed a white man walking east on jackson street he was never stopped and questioned the officers did get a good look at him however and when the correct description of the suspect was finally broadcasted the officers realized they might have encountered him and a search of the area where the man had been observed was conducted to no avail. Which, that made me just all kinds of angry thinking about that. Like, the fact that that could have been the guy right there, the identity could have been solved. But, you know, just gotta keep going. Anyway, the man seen by Fuch and Zelms was, a very, was very similar to the suspect observed by those three witnesses. He was white, 35 to 45 years old, 5'10", between 180 and 200 pounds, barrel chested with light colored crew cut hair and wearing glasses. The man didn't appear to be carrying anything. And with no conversation between the man and the officers took place. Then Stein was murdered initially thought to be Stein's murder was initially thought to be a routine cab killing, a robbery gone bad, basically. However, on October 13th, 1969, The San Francisco Chronicle received a letter from the Zodiac Killer containing a portion of the bloody shirt and taking credit for the killing. SFPD inspectors Dave Toshi and Bill Armstrong, who were assigned to this case, were shocked to realize that the shirt had belonged to Stein. Still later, the Zodiac Killer would claim he actually spoke with the patrolman the night of the murder, leading them astray, and the three witnesses though hampered by poor lighting conditions and fog during their observation of the crime happening, worked with the police composite artist to put a face on the Zodiac, which I will post to the Instagram if you guys want to check that out. So a few days after the sketch was circulated throughout the Bay area in the form of a wanted poster, the witnesses requested the sketch to be altered to make it more accurate. Therefore, another version was made more than a month after Stein's murder, officer Foukin finally came forward, about his possible encounter with the killer. Alright guys, so now this is where we're going to get into the main suspect. And the reason I'm, there is other suspects, which I will also post of who they were. Um, but the other ones didn't have as much as Arthur Lee Allen did so that's why i'm going to get into him right now so arthur lee allen's connections to the zodiac killings began on october 30th 1966 when cherry joe bates was stabbed to death at riverside city college in riverside california as i stated before in late november 1966 two anonymous typewritten bates murder confession letters were mailed to the local police and newspaper this typewriter was identified as being a royal model with either elite or pika type Allen allegedly was in Riverside this weekend when Bates was murdered, and the information placing Allen in Riverside was developed by was developed in 1971 by the Fajello Police Department and the California Department of Justice. Allen later hinted it was true, first claiming to have been quotes in the area at the time, then telling people he was in nearby Pomona when he first heard of the Bates murder. Guys, once again, so sorry, so sorry. There's so much here to read. So I'm so sorry that I keep messing up. I'm going to correct myself every time, but I know it's annoying. So to continue, employed as an elementary school teacher in California's Calvaryres County at the time of the Bates murder, by the time his employment ended in late March, 1968, Allen had used only one of 19 available sick days. Allen was absent on November 1st, 1966. And initially, Alan attributed the absence to school business, which that was in quotes, and he was later charged with the sick day. Did Alan stay an extra day or two in Riverside? See, guys, like I just read that line and I was really confused. So let me repeat it. Therefore, it was wondering if Alan had stayed an extra day or two in Riverside and it was gathering secondhand information to use in the anonymous confessions. or. Was that Alan actually had killed Bates and was missed work on November 1st because of the facial wounds inflicted by his victim. So there was a lot of speculation with that. And sorry again that I messed up saying that. But there was a lot of speculation about what his actual plans were on that day and why he used the sick day on that specific day. So obviously guys there's a lot to this and a lot leading to him being the killer. But like I said there's a lot more to it so I'm going to keep going. But modern FBI profiles on serial killers usually say that during periods of activity, the killer will actually behave erratically and exhibit moodiness, drink or smoke more than they actually do, and miss a lot of days of work. During the execution of a 1991 search warrant, VBT, VPD, sees a royal typewriter with an elite type from the home of Arthur Lee Allen. In late April 1967, three anonymous letters referring to Bates were mailed. In 1970, Sherwood Morrow, head of the Question Documents section of California's Criminal Identification and Investigation Bureau, determined them to be the work of the Zodiac Killer. Each contained double the necessary postage, a Zodiac trademark. Two of the three letters were signed with an unusual symbol, and some believe the symbol resembles a sloppy quote-unquote Z, others say that it looks like a 32, but at the time that Bates was killed, Allen was 32 years old and his permanent residence was 32 Fresno St. in Vallejo, California. And in 1970, the Zodiac Killer would create a cipher that contained the 32 symbols. At the approximate time, the three letters were mailed. A desk was discovered on the RCC campus that had a morbid poem scratched into the surface, possibly referring to the Bates murder. In 1970, Morrill claimed the poem was definitely the work of the Zodiac Killer, although other experts believe the condition of the desk prevented authentication. The poem was signed R.H. The president of RCC at the time Bates was murdered was R.H. Bradshaw, a detail a stranger to the area probably wouldn't have known. Interestingly, after establishing the moniker Zodiac, the only reference Zodiac ever made to the Bates murder came in a letter to the Los Angeles Times postmarked March 13, 1971. RCC, where Bates was a student, was founded on March 13, 1916. Timing his letters to be postmarked on a significant date was a Zodiac specialty, and the Times reference to Bates is another example of this. The Bates murder was initially merely local news, not likely to have gotten much exposure outside of the Riverside area. If Zodiac didn't actually kill Bates, which is an actual strong possibility, he at least had enough knowledge of the crime to produce the anonymous confessions so of course after so many letters if you this actually let me talk about this real quick because this actually reminded me of the watcher which i'm sure all of you know and what it is and it reminded me of those letters in the sense that like if you ever saw um the show on netflix or you've read anything about it there was no actual killings or things that were happening that were leading that you know as the letters were sent nothing was really happening it was obviously frightening and very very gruesome and terrifying some of the things he said but of course no one was killed and that's kind of what they thought about the zodiac killer in the sense that they thought that this was just a mere act by someone who was trying to gain fame or trying to sort of just toy with this entire case and that's obviously screwed up and fucked up if someone was but that's kind of what they thought so that's why they thought that this zodiac person and whoever it was may have actually not had any connection to the Bates murder of course until they kept discovering not discovering but of course until the further murders happened that I explained before and of how they had the same kind of circumstances and connections to the zodiac killer and what he was doing and then of course the connection to the letters so anyway getting back So there is a strong case that can be made that the zodiac killer had ties to the riverside area and alan certainly did have connections to it to date even though it was an item it was looking for in the 1991 search the vpd has not attempted matching alan's typewriter to that of the anonymous confessions so according to his brother ron alan was given a zodiac watch as a christmas gift from their mother in 1967 Allen's estimation of when he received the watch was July or August of 1969. And the logo for the Zodiac watch is a cross-circle symbol, the same as eventually used by the Zodiac killer. So like I was just talking about, I just talked about from the point at which Terry Joe Bates had been murdered, then as I said to you guys before, with describing the killings, the cross-circle symbol had come up. So, according to police statements, within days of receiving the watch, Alan is allegedly to have made these claims to his friend, Don Cheney. So, Alan used the premise of writing a novel to communicate this fantasy, and Cheney estimates the conversation took place on January 1st, 1969. And this is basically what this fantasy is, what I'm about to say, and what he was talking to with Cheney himself. So, he would like to kill couples at random times, He would taunt the police with letters detailing his crimes he would sign the letters with the cross circle symbol from his watch he would call himself zodiac he would wear makeup to change his appearance he would attach a flashlight to the barrel of his gun in order to shoot at night he would fool women into stopping their cars in rural areas by claiming they had problems with their tires then loosen their lug nuts and eventually take them captive don eventually took this information to the police and in 1972 the san francisco police department was able to secure a search warrant against alan as the zodiac killer unfortunately the department elected to search a trailer that alan frequently frequented in nearby santa rosa instead of searching his home at 32 fresno street in valjeo nothing incriminating was found in this trailer according to a police statement in an early 1968 conversation with his friend philip Allen is alleged to alleged to have been fascinated with the concept of hunting people and according to alan people would be more challenging to hunt than animals since they quote-unquote by him have intelligence so on july 31st 1969 zodiac mailed the cipher to the news media within days it was solved and stated that the killing man was more fun than killing wild game in the forest because man is the most dangerous animal of all to kill additionally during a 1971 police interrogation, Allen had offered the fact that, as a youth, youthful person, he had read a book that had made a lasting impression on him, and the book was called The Most Dangerous Game, and was about hunting a man like an animal. So, on June 15, 1958, Allen was arrested by VPD and charged with disturbing the peace, the result of an altercation with acquaintance Ralph Spinelli the charges were dismissed on July 8, 1958 and the zodiac killer would later taunt san francisco chronicle columnist marco spinelli spinelli i'm so sorry and a letter postmarked on July 8, 1974 so according to statements to the police by family and friends prior to the publication of the zodiac's codes allen had possession of codes featuring identical symbols additionally allen was known to use the name in an unusual spelling and phrasing, as the Zodiac Killer later would use, such as spelling Mary X-M-A-S-S instead of saying Mary X-Smith with just one S. And he actually, which I didn't mention, I just saw this now, when he also quoted Mary, it was without an R, excuse me, an R. And saying that quote unquote trigger match instead of triggering mechanism. Alan would intentionally misspell words to be funny. In a 1969 letter, the Zodiac used the term... So it's says busy work, but the busy is with one extra S. I'm obviously not going to say, you know, what everyone would see that word as. That's why I was taking a pause. But again, to continue which is jargon used by elementary school teachers. So busy work, quote unquote, is a technique used to keep children busy and therefore happy by assigning them menial tasks or minor tasks. And prior to his termination in March of 1968, Allen had almost 10 years of experience as an elementary school teacher. And despite this negative ramification on his life, Allen continued to wear his Zodiac watch until it was seized during the execution of the Vallejo Police Department's search warrant in 1991 in Lake Herman Road. In late March 1968, Allen was fired from his job as an elementary school teacher for molesting a student. This was Allen's second career failure, and as in 1958, he was less than honorably discharged from the Navy after two years of service. With no source of income, Allen moved back home with his mother and father at 32 Fresno Street in Valhalla, California. According to friends and family, Allen hated his mother and felt inferior around his father, Ethan. And Ethan, himself, was a very successful military man. Certainly, being a child molester didn't help Arthur's status around the house. Alan began gaining weight and drinking heavily, eventually taking a part-time job as a service station attendant. By winter, Alan was in a downward spiral of depression and alcohol abuse, most probably amplified by two major stressors, his birthday and Christmas. The apparently motiveless Lake Herman Road murders occurred on December 20th, 1968, just between Alan's December 18th birthday and Christmas on December 25th. Profiles indicate serial killers are always active in areas that are very that they're familiar with, and Alan was living only about seven minutes from the Lake Herman Road crime scene. So with, you know, of course, his failure, you know, from him being a molester and all of this. It really did get to him, and he had a very explosive temper, and was known to park, drink alcohol, and roll settings, such as Lake Herman Road, where the murders happened, and always carried a weapon in his car as well. Excuse me. In 1991, the search warrant executed by VPD revealed Allen owned the same type of ammunition used to kill the victims of the Zodiac's Lake Herman Road attack in Blue Rock Springs. Zodiac's Blue Rock Springs attack of July 4th, 1969 was the second within seven months to occur on the eastern outskirts of Valhalla, California, and at this time, the Zodiac was only about four minutes from Allen's home. Major holidays can bring out ugly behavior in people, and Allen was already dealing with unemployment and alcohol abuse. The male victim, Mike McGo, who had survived the attack and gave police department a description of the Zodiac's car brown in color, possibly a Corvair, and at the time Alan had a friend, Philip, who was trying to sell his brown Corvair. According to a police statement, though, Philip's Corvair was parked in front of a service station in Valjeo, where Alan had recently been employed, and the key was inside the office. Philip had occasionally allowed Alan to drive the Corvair, and the possibility exists that Alan either had a key to the car or to the service station where it was parked. Additionally, there are potential connections between Blue Rock Springs victim Darlene Farron and Arthur Lee Allen. In 1966, 1967, Farron worked as a waitress at the International House of Pancakes on Tennessee Street in Vallejo, less than one tenth of a mile from Allen's home at 32 Fresno Street in California. About that time, Allen is alleged to have told Don Cheney that he was fond of a waitress from that exact restaurant. And also, according to a police report, An unidentified male named Lee was known to associate occasionally with Darlene. Alan was known by his middle name, spelling it Lee. Until quote-unquote Lee is identified, the possibility exists that victim Farron might have known Alan. Finally, in 1971, Alan's father Ethan died. The date was March 17th, which also was Darlene's birthday. It was yet another occasion when someone close to Alan died on a significant Zodiac killer date. So, according to the police report in mid-1992, the surviving Blue Rock Springs victim, Maggie Magoo, picked Alan out of a VPD police lineup saying that that's him. He's the man that shot me. On September 27th, 1969, the Zodiac Killer used a foot long knife with the sheath and rivets to attack a young couple at Lake Beresia in Napa County, just north of Valhalla, as I described before. So Alan, an outdoorsman, Frequently recreational areas such as Baresia, often trapping games, scuba diving, and camping. And Alan was familiar with this area and even told VPD's VPD's uh, Sergeant Lynch sorry. in an October 6, 1969 interview that the day of the attack, he was, quote-unquote, going to Baresia, but went up the coast instead. And I'm so sorry if I'm butchering the name of any of these places. I'm really not trying to, but I'm sure that people who have either known this area, been to this area, seen this case, whatever it may be that you know, there I am talking about. But I am apologize if I am butchering that name. I am. So to continue, though, Alan first used a mysterious couple from Treasure Island as an alibi, but could never produce their names or phone number. But a 1930s film, Charlie Chan at Treasure Island, featured a villain named Dr. Zodiac, who wrote taunting letters about his San Francisco crimes. Later, Alan attempted to use a deceased elderly neighbor as an alibi, claiming his neighbor, William White, had seen Alan the afternoon of the Baressa attack and that the two had a conversation. And at this time, another William White, a Ranger from the Napa County, was all over the news as a spokesman on this Baressa attack. Neighbor White died within a couple of weeks of this alleged encounter. And his birthday was December twentieth. During a 1971 police interrogation, Allen admitted to having possession of bloody knives the day of the baressa attack, claiming he used the knives to kill a chicken. Allen's physical appearance and voice were the same as the Zodiac killers, according to surviving Barreza victim Brian Hartnell. And Hartnell had been taken, had taken, been taken to see Allen at his place of employment by a DOJ representative in the mid-1970s. The Zodiac left size 10.5 footprints at the crime scene. According to a police report, Allen had worn a 10 and a half. And I don't know why I just said 10.5, so I'm so sorry about that. Again, that I keep messing up. So I'm just so sorry, but I will keep correcting myself. And here we go again. <laughs> in 1991 the search warrant executed by the value peace department revealed allen owned a foot-long knife with the sheath and rivets and to date even though it was an item it was looking for the vpd had not attempted matching allen's knife to the wounds of the baryessa victims so when the zodiac killer hailed paul stein's cab in san francisco on october 11th 1969 as I said before, his original destination was the Washington and Maple Streets in Presidio Heights, and th- that was an intersection featuring a school crosswalk. Amazingly, the address Stein was headed to when he encountered the Zodiac Killer was 509th Ave, the Allen Arms Apartments. On October 13th, two days later after Stein was killed, the Zodiac mailed the letter threatening to school the school children. Exactly one week earlier, Allen had been interviewed by VPD's Lynch at the elementary school where Allen Alan worked as a janitor. And if Lynch had seen, had asked to see Allen's driver's license, he might have noticed that the issued date was October 13th. So, according to a police report, in 1991, Allen's old nemesis, Ralph Spinelli, came forward to VPD claiming that just prior to the Stein murder, Allen had admitted that he was the Zodiac killer and would quote unquote, prove it by going to San Francisco and killing a cabbie. After killing Stein, the Zodiac killer took his wallet, his car keys, and a portion of his shirt In no other attack did the Zodiac killer take items from his victims. And it is a matter of the fact that the Zodiac killer did indeed prove he was Stein's killer. And he did so by including scrapes of Stein's bloody shirt and his subsequent taunting letters to the news media. One such letter was postmarked November 9, 1969 and contained a bomb diagram. Ingredients for the bomb included ammonium, nitrate, fertilizer, and gravel. Zodiac claimed in the letter that the bomb was being stored in the basement and that his killing tools were acquired through, quote-unquote, mail-order outfits. In 1991, the search warrant executed by VPD revealed Allen had, in his basement, handwritten diagrams, for bombs compromise of ammonium nitrate fertilizer and gravel and were also found were mail order catalogs for bombs for bombs and guns and booty booby traps i just said bombs i don't know why i really saw bombs but apologies again so to finish up circling back arthur lee allen had died of natural causes at age 58 and had been suffering from diabetes and heart problems As you guys knew before when he was having his downward spiral and of course we know that the definite victim of the zodiac killer mike magoo had picked him out of a police lineup and once again to repeat had said that is him exclamation point he is the man who shot me so that is the case of the zodiac killer guys and like i've said Lee Allen had been a very, very big suspect. And from just reading this myself before even recording this episode, I will tell you guys that I'm very leaning towards that it was Allen. But of course, there's other details and other suspects that were involved and could possibly be the Zodiac killer. Um, But yeah, it was a very crazy case to go into. And um, it hasn't still been kind of known who the Zodiac Killer is. And um, even though there's so much on Lee Allen, they really couldn't pinpoint him um, because of, like I mentioned, the DNA testing and obviously just other kind of small details, I guess, that they were including. But of course, with the claim made that, of his confession. It was just for me, it was just too much to even think that he wasn't the Zodiac Killer. But yeah, as I said though, other suspects are also listed on the website that I mentioned before, which is zodiackiller.com. And like I said, that I will post everything of where I got my information from and all of the websites and just small little details. So that way you guys can go take a look. And the picture, the drawing, the makeup drawing of the Zodiac Killer, I will post on the Instagram, as well as a picture of the known and confirmed victims of the Zodiac Killer. But with all that being said, and also said terribly by me, which I'm so sorry about that, that is the case of the Zodiac Killer. And as always, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Please let me know what you think about this case. And please keep listening. Subscribe to the No Offense podcast for more of the true crime series. And like I said, I'm just so sorry about how long this was taking and i know that i gotta give it to you guys but i'm gonna keep up for you guys so this episode you are hearing i'm recording this now on easter but you will be hearing it tomorrow and tomorrow i will also just have one of my regular episodes out as well for you guys to listen to so stay tuned please follow the podcast and just know that i will be sitting on top of it i can promise you all that but i hope you enjoyed today's episode And make sure to keep listening, subscribe, follow whatever you need to do. And to end it out, peace and love and stay safe out there. You have a gut feeling, go with the gut feeling and all of that. Please just stay safe and protect yourself as much as you can, but love you all. And I will see you in the next episode.